welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 12, A New Freedom Chan Zongbing came to America in the late 1870s to pursue a better life for himself and his family back in China. He was recruited by dishonest agents in China who promised a job and freedom. What he got was virtual slavery to the dirtiest and most dangerous jobs in building the railroads and constant indebtedness to his employer. Somehow Chan was able to break free and make his way to Washington, D.C., where he opened a Chinese restaurant. Wu Ah Choi arrived in America as a servant girl when she was about eight years old, having been sold to a rich Chinese-American, a fate shared by many girls from poor Chinese families. At the age of 13, she was sold to another Chinese-American and soon became pregnant before she knew what pregnant was. That son died, as did the next. Because her master was physically and verbally abusive, Wu, at the age of 16, broke through a wall to freedom and ran away, leaving her third child with her master. What she did to survive as a non-English-speaking Chinese girl in a strange country is a mystery she never revealed. But somehow she eventually met Chan, and they married. They had a boy, my father, and named him Robert. His is the only generation between me and slavery. My grandfather abandoned my grandmother and father and returned to China during the Great Depression. I never knew him or communicated with him. My grandmother remained in Washington, D.C., where one Sunday she attended a church class taught by a Chinese-speaking former missionary. She heard the gospel and believed it. Her journey to freedom was complete. I am an heir of her struggle for social freedom, but now I also enjoy her spiritual freedom through Jesus Christ, and I take neither for granted. Fully Free what is freedom worth to you? Some consider personal freedom more precious than possessions or life itself. A country's citizens will fight to the death to remain free. But what about spiritual freedom? What good would political and personal freedom be if we were spiritual slaves to sin, fear of condemnation, or fear of death? In my observation, spiritual freedom is a rare experience in this world. Billions of people are bound in the darkness of unbelief, fearing both life and death. 
They live in fear of displeasing their gods, and they die in fear of their unknown fate. The situation with Christians is better, but often not as good as it could be. While Christians should live confidently in hope, too many live fearfully, thinking that their God is displeased with them. While they believe that heaven and earth should be their future, they are confused and uncertain whether they will be good enough to get there or experience it. No one can have spiritual freedom who has not experienced grace, because grace sets us free. Those who have not experienced the grace of God and salvation are in spiritual darkness and bondage. But those who have been saved can also live in bondage to fear. They have not experienced grace to the fullest. Grace sets us free. Consider what happens the moment we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are free from the penalty of sins. We are free from God's condemnation. We are free from the fear of death. We are free from the fear of uncertainty about eternity. We are free from the guilt that sin brings. Also consider what happens as we grow in our experience of that same grace. We are free from obedience to the power of sin. We are free from the demands of the law for acceptance with God. We are free from the power of Satan over us. We are free to serve God and others. We are free to be all that God made us to be. When we believe the gospel, we are free because God has delivered us from death, the devil, error, sin's power, and a host of other bondages. It is unfortunate when those who have been set free live as though they were still in prison. Free to Grow The freedom that grace brings is the fertile soil for spiritual growth. Fear causes us to live protectively and anxiously. There's a big difference between the attitude of a slave and that of a son. Romans 8.15 says to believers, quote, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Unquote. The term Abba is a respectful and affectionate term for one's father, like Papa or Daddy. It shows familiarity and family relation. God is now our Father and we are His children. How does a perfect father treat his children? Every father knows that newborns will make a mess, that children will stumble and fall, and that part of growing up is making bad choices. As our father, God does not expect perfection from us. He knows we will stumble and fall and sin. He understands better than we that our growth and sanctification is a process. When we fall, God does not kick us out of the family or cease to be our father. Like a good father, he restores the fellowship that was broken. The certainty of our failures and the possibility of restoration is not an excuse to sin. It's just a reality. As a good father, God in His grace has provided the way to restore fellowship when we sin by allowing us to confess our sins and receive His forgiveness and cleansing. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means to say the same thing as, or to agree with, God that we are wrong. No sin is too great to keep us from fellowship with God if we confess it to Him. He can forgive us and restore fellowship with us because His grace is greater than all our sin. Romans 5.20 What this means is that we can live confidently, knowing that our Father loves us and accepts us. We are free to be ourselves and to serve God in our unique way. 
We should live without fearing that God is waiting for us to mess up so he can destroy us. If we sin, he forgives and restores. Even at our worst times, we know that God is for us, not against us. On our worst days, he is with us. He is on our side. The gospel of grace sets us free. But no one is free in the absolute sense. So how do we exercise our freedom in Christ? If freedom is not controlled, it can be perverted. Abusing Freedom with License One way freedom can be perverted is through license. This is the abuse of grace to serve oneself selfishly and sinfully. It is an unrestrained life that scorns God's commands. Jude 4 warns of ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There are groups and individuals who teach grace as an excuse to sin. Christians who fall into license may reason that they can indulge in sin because their eternal salvation cannot be lost or because they are forgiven already, or at least, they rationalize, God will forgive me when I sin. This is the immature and uninformed attitude behind the objections we noted in Romans 6.1 and 6.15. There the question is, should we sin to experience more grace and because we are not under the law? Paul's answer is, absolutely not. In Christ we have died to sin and we are under a new master, Jesus Christ, whom we should serve. Also, we have seen in Romans 6 and in other scriptures that there are serious negative consequences for our sin. In our discussion of eternal security, we saw that grace is not a license to sin. Those who reject all commands are called antinomians, which means against the law or opposed to the law. While there may be some who deserve that title, it does not describe what I have said about grace in the Christian life. We believe that grace frees us from the Old Testament law because its demands were fully met on our behalf by Jesus Christ. But we realize the New Testament has laws to fulfill. Under Christ, we have many commands to fulfill, not to earn salvation, but to grow in our salvation. Though we are not under the Mosaic law, the New Testament has commands to obey. Chief among them is to love God and to love our neighbor, both of which preclude self-serving and sinful behavior. The licentious Christian fails to realize how he or she is despising grace and how such conduct forfeits fellowship with God in this life and forfeits benefits in eternity, and it invites God's disciplinary action. Simply put, the freedom that grace provides is not freedom to do what we want, but freedom to do what God wants. Such freedom can be abused. That is why Paul was compelled to tell the Galatian believers, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5.13 When we see freedom as an opportunity to serve others and please God, we will not drift into licentiousness. Restricting Freedom Through Legalism Grace can be perverted not only by license, but it can also be perverted by legalism. Legalism is the abuse of grace that seeks to bring Christians back under either the Mosaic Law or some artificial standard for acceptance with God that has been created by others. The legalist insists on following a list of do's and don'ts, such as those that seem to be behind the warnings against legalism in Galatians and Colossians. 
There's nothing wrong with following biblical's do's and don'ts if we obey them out of a love for God and a desire to please Him. We become legalistic only if we demand obedience to commands or principles that are not in the Bible, or if we obey them in order to exalt ourselves before God and others. Attitude and motive is key. Christians easily can fall under the legalism of others, which can lead to feelings of false guilt. Those under legalism can, for example, be made to feel that they are not spiritual because of what Bible translation they use, or how they dress, what movies they see, what music they listen to, what church meetings they do or do not attend, or any other issue that the Bible does not address directly. What the legalist fails to realize is that Jesus not only set us free from the Old Testament law, but he also set us free from artificial man-made standards that are not in the Bible. We are accepted by God because we are his children by grace, not by performance. We stand accepted by his grace and are thus secured by his grace until the time when we see him. Since every believer is accepted on the basis of grace, we should accept other believers who differ on issues not clearly defined as right or wrong in the Bible. See the discussion below. Legalists have fallen from grace, according to Galatians 5.4, in that they now rely on their own performance to complete their relationships with God. What they don't understand is that they must always perform perfectly or they are condemned by their own standards, whatever they are. Those who teach legalism, practice legalism, or find themselves under legalism are generally miserable people. They learn to conform on the outside without genuine change on the inside. They live under the pressure of constantly trying to please an angry God or judgmental people. Depression, burnout, and dropout are often the consequences. If you find yourself under legalism, free from it as soon as you can. Only Jesus Christ's perfect performance is acceptable to God, and therefore only Christians who trust in that gracious provision are acceptable to God. The way to please God and live up to the standards of the law is to love. Controlling Freedom Through Love The balance between the extremes of license and legalism is love. When we love God and others, we will not live sinfully or under artificial standards. Love is the controlling principle that constrains the proper and godly use of our freedom. Our liberty must be exercised in love to avoid the extremes of license and legalism. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37-40 Jesus knew that when a man or woman loves God, that person will please him and will love others. Love your neighbor is not a command second in importance, but second in the sense that it is inseparable from the first, like the two halves of a pair of scissors or the two legs of a pair of pants. All the moral teaching of the Old Testament law and prophets, as well as the New Testament, is fulfilled when we love God and others. Perhaps you can see why someone has said, love God with all your heart and do what you please. Sometimes our freedom can be exercised in a way that hurts others, in other words, in an unloving way. Of course, many sins we might commit could hurt other people, Christian and non-Christian alike. 
It is difficult to love all people. Referring to Jesus' words in Matthew 5.44, Will Rogers once said, The Bible says, love your enemies, but why don't you try it out on your friends for a while? Christians must learn to exercise their freedom around other Christians who may not agree with them about things not specifically addressed in the Bible. We call these gray areas questionable practices. Christians can differ, for example, about the use of alcoholic beverages, what movies are appropriate to watch, or what holidays to celebrate and how to celebrate them. There are many controversial issues. One Christian may do one of these activities with a clear conscience and a belief that it is part of the freedom she has under Christ in grace, but another will not do it because he believes it is sin. So how are they to get along? There are a number of principles that will help us exercise our freedom and allow others to exercise their freedom under grace. Some of these principles come from long discussions about questionable practices like the one found in Romans 14. There we see these principles. We must accept those who differ in their opinion about questionable practices because God has accepted them. Romans 14.1-3 We should not judge a believer about questionable practices because we are not that believer's judge. Romans 14.3-4 We must honor a believer's conviction about what pleases God. Romans 14.5-9 We should be more concerned about giving an account to God for our own choices. Romans 14.10-12 we must never do anything that would lead other Christians to sin, Romans 14, 13-23. We should always put the best interests of others ahead of our own, Romans 15, 1-7. Another extended discussion is in 1 Corinthians chapters 8-10. through From the conclusion to this discussion, we can ask four questions to help determine if a questionable practice is right for us. 1. Does it enslave me or does it edify me? 1 Corinthians 6.12, 1 Corinthians 10.23. 2. Does it cause hurt or does it help the other believer? 1 Corinthians 10.24-29. 3. Does it glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10.30-31. 4. Does it hurt or does it help my witness to unbelievers? 1 Corinthians 10.32-33. In short, our liberty should always be controlled by love. When Paul wrote the exhortation of Galatians 5, 13-14, he was remembering Jesus' words. Quote, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Paul states that the key to love is walking in the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit controls our lives. Galatians 5, 15-26 The first fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5, 22 Freedom Worth Fighting For I hope that as you come to a healthy appreciation of God's magnificent grace and the freedom it provides, you value it worth fighting for. Not in an ungracious, combative sense but that you defend the freeness of grace and its glorious liberty. The scriptures show us that whenever and wherever Paul preached his gospel of grace, there followed those who would pervert the message and lead people back into bondage. Thus he admonishes the Galatians who were being persuaded by those who oppose God's grace, 
quote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1 It's easy to get back into the performance system of trying to please God, or to allow others to make us feel guilty with their false standards of spirituality. But to loosely paraphrase Paul, don't just do something, stand there. Stand firm in grace. Remember that God paid the highest price for your freedom. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ. According to 1 Peter 1, 18-19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We should not allow the precious gospel to be polluted with the arrogant attitude that it can be improved by anything we can do. We can add nothing to God's gift of salvation and God's unconditional acceptance. It is only by grace and simply by grace that we have been saved, can know we are saved, will stay eternally saved, and can live a life pleasing to God. Never surrender your position in grace. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Instead, let us continue to strengthen our position. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Review Questions 1. What does grace free us from? What does grace free us to? 2. What is a biblical attitude toward grace and license? 3. Why is legalism an enemy of grace? 4. How should love control our freedom under grace? Well, our topic for today is a new freedom that grace can bring, and we have a very special guest with us today to talk about that, and I think you'll find him very interesting. His name is Ed Underwood. He's been a, a friend for a long time, and we welcome you to the podcast, Ed. Good to be with you, Charlie. A lot of memories, buddy. I know. A lot of memories. Back Decades. all the way back to seminary, down yep. in that little weight room. Yep, where you, where you hurt your back. Where I ruined my back. <laughs> yeah. yeah with that sense but that's all right yeah so ed has been a good friend since then we served on ministry board together and uh um before seminary you were in the army and uh yeah i was, I was an armor officer served in germany during the cold war so uh, nobody ever shot at me i just uh um i was in during the cold war yeah yeah well thank you for your service and how many years well, you, bet. you bet how many years were you in? I was in uh, almost four years. I was, uh, uh, I resigned uh, my commission while still in Germany. I, I had just made captain and uh, came home and went straight to Dallas Seminary from, okay. from the and Army. Now your son has made a career of the Army, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's really made a career of it. And it's a, I mean, it's a whole different experience for him. He's a, He's now a colonel, um, and uh, he's serving with uh, in Brussels with NATO, 
Um, but you know, he's been, in, he went to West point um, wow. and then he's been to, he's been to war three times. Hmm. So totally different uh, yeah. experience for him. Yeah. yeah. And Judy, your wife, and I know you have at least one daughter. Yeah, I have two daughters. Uh, uh, Amy uh, lives in Oregon, and she has uh, three grown children. And um, then Celia, uh, she lives here in Southern California, and she was our uh, our seminary baby. You remember when um, Prof. Hendricks used to challenge us uh, in his? Uh, I took his Christian home class, and he challenged us. He said, "Those of you who think your 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 family is complete, please consider having one more." Yeah. And so, and so right? we, I don't yeah. remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had Celia and, uh, and she was way later. The other two were nine and 11 when she was born, but she's, uh, she lives here in Southern California and she has three. So we have three grandchildren close. My son's children, of course, they're in Europe. Uh, well, they're all over the place, but, um, he's never lived near us. And, uh, but my daughter's, uh, all three of her children went to Biola. So we would have them during the four years that they went to Biola. Oh, and that was great. good on weekends. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. Well, so um, we went to seminary together. And uh, after seminary, you went uh, directly into the pastorate, I, uh, yep. I believe. And you eventually ended up at the Church of the Open Door and stayed there the longest and retired from there not many years ago. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the well-known Church of the Open Door. Um, where James Vernon McGee and others, you mentioned yeah. Tory. Um, yeah, R.A. Tory started in 1915 with Biola. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, the historic Bible church in Southern California. Yeah, and, uh, and I've been out to that campus, it's a beautiful campus. Oh, yeah, really is nice. Yeah, that's right. You came, you did a, a leadership retreat for us. That's right. Yeah, I did. I, I remember driving arriving and coming up the driveway and a bobcat walked across the driveway yep and we had mule deer, <laughs> mule deer all over the so for a for a, for a guy like me who has been a hunter um being here where you can't uh hunt but there's mule deer all over our campus Amazing. really nice bucks beautiful place really <laughs> nice bucks because <laughs> <laughs> nobody nobody bothers them oh um, no no the, the uh People sneak up there and try to shoot them and, and they get reported. And I've seen two uh, men uh, let off campus in handcuffs. Oh, my gosh. Because they were bow hunting. I uh, thought they could get away from it, uh, away with it. Yeah. Wow. That, that tells me it's a pretty big campus acreage. Watch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you didn't retire into nothing, though. You uh, did you start your ministry called Recentered? Yeah, we did. Um, I was. Um, uh, the last, about the last, uh, well, really for the entire time I was at Church of the Open Door, I was working with the guys at True Face, uh, yeah, a real yeah. grace-based ministry. Um, and uh, I was working with them and Church of the Open Door was pretty much uh, a laboratory for their truths. And I mean, basically what True Face is, I'm, I don't know how they would describe their ministry, but from our perspective as pastors and and theologians, um, they've they've simply taken taken um, sanctification grace, and uh, and they've uh, they've uh, uh, applied it to leadership relationships. Okay. So for the last uh, um, fifteen years, twenty years, I worked with them, 
And so when I uh, handed off at Church of the Open Door, um, they were changed to be more of a discipleship ministry, and uh, they gave me permission to use uh, most, almost all of their stuff that was, uh, had to do with church leadership. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, uh, res- I resigned as lead uh, pastor at Church of the Open Door. I stayed on for two years to mentor the next uh, pastor and uh, started recentered from that. Yeah. And I just work with churches and pastors and leadership teams. Yeah. You have a great uh, view of the church, a lot of churches from the inside out. Oh, where, yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's not real encouraging. Yeah, yeah that's true. That I really do. Encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you also teach at a Cola Bible Institute. I know on a regular basis. Yeah. So, I go up there two or three times a year. Um, I was, I taught at Biola for a long time while I was pastor at Church of the Open Door. But uh, when I started writing books, I just, I asked, uh, I was real good friends with the president of Bile, Bile and Church of the Open Door connected at the hip. And uh, so uh, I, I taught hermeneutics at, uh, at Biola. And, and uh, having to do with grace, um, uh, when they asked me what I wanted to teach, I, the, you remember Earl Rodmacher? Oh, yeah. Uh, and Earl told me, he said, if, if they ever let you teach at a Bible school, teach hermeneutics because you get to pick the passages. And uh, that was absolutely true. And um, it's, a, it's a really good stealthy way to teach the, uh, the original gospel, the gospel of grace. And, yeah. and so I taught there for a while. That's yeah. a good. Idea. That's good. Good strategy. Actually, I use that strategy myself. I bet you do. <laughs> when I teach I bet you do. Yeah. Bible study methods. Um, anyway, our subject today is talking about um, a new freedom. Um, uh, how would you explain to someone that grace frees you. What does that mean? Yeah, I think um, I, grace frees us to live the life that, um, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and then Ephesians 2, 10 says um, that there are works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And uh, that's just grace upon grace. Not only are we made new in Christ um, through no merit of our own, um, but uh, that new um, identity that we have in Christ can now uh, live a life that uh, God had prepared for us in eternity past. And uh, the only way that we are going to accomplish those Ephesians 2.10 works is through the freedom that Christ gives us uh, to live for him. And um, it's a a freedom to uh, live a life that no one else, that no one could live apart from the power of the living God. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people look at Christianity as anything but freeing. They see it as full of rules and restrictions. And I think you and I were both hippies at one point in life, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, I had, we were. Yeah, I, I had the long hair, hippie, right? and anything goes. You know, everything's cool, man. Yeah, uh, do your thing. <laughs> we are, we were, and, that and we were free, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, were I was we? G- yeah, yeah. I was a G. Oh, yeah. We were free. I was free to ruin my life. Yep. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. That's about uh, that's about the the same with me. I was free to ruin my life. Yeah, I was, and, and but I actually. You'd, I actually acted upon it, and um, I can still remember. Um, uh, I was always like in the uh, 
in the mentally gifted class. I was always a straight A student. And uh, man, in, in the I, I graduated from high school in 68. And somewhere around 1966, I just became an angry rebel. And, and my life, I mean, my life absolutely fell apart. And uh, Jesus rescued me. So, yeah, I was free to destroy my life. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and um, Jesus rescued me. And now I'm free to live the life that I've lived. You know, I've been married 51 years to the same lady. We love each other. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a family man. I've, I've, we've, well, you know the way it is in ministry. We've, we've done yeah. things we, can, we could never imagine. Oh yeah, free and free from guilt, free from shame, free from, free from guilt, free free from shame. Um, until we, uh, we we can let legalism slip back into our lives, and uh, we can we can it, it can have an impact uh, still, even though. Well, let's, let's talk about that because a lot of Christians do, and that's you know what I say is that grace life. We <laughs> preach the gospel of grace to unbelievers and the grace of the gospel to believers. Exactly. That, and that second part is because a lot of believers allow legalism to creep back in. How, how do you see that coming in? Yeah. Um, you know, at Recentered, I say the same thing. I say that you're a sinner saved by grace the moment you believe in believe the gospel, the moment you trust Christ. From then on, you're a saint who sins. Hmm. And, uh, and so, we, yeah, we the gospel has sanctification power in our lives. And, uh, you know, we, we, we learned it in seminary that there, there's a, uh, the, the theological term is there's a constitutional change. Yeah. Uh, Romans five through eight. We're not who we used to be. We don't have to live the way we used to live. Colossians one twenty seven. Christ in you, the hope of glory over and over and over and over again. So, um, we, uh, we are, to live an inside out righteousness and inside out right out uh, because we've been changed, but so much of Christianity is outside in righteousness by rules. And it's really, really easy to slip back into that. And um, I, what, what's discouraging to me is that Christians across the board have been taught to mistrust grace. Mm -hmm. After they're saved. I mean, everybody, um, you, you know, in the circles we run in, conservative uh, teaching of the Bible, everybody fully understands eternal security. But, um, and, um, but they don't understand living the Christian life by grace. And, and they've just been taught to fear it. I, um, in my time at Church of the Open Door, and Remember, Church of the Open Door, J. Vernon McGee, he was a grace guy. He taught right. grace all over the place. Yeah. Um, but at Church of the Open Door, I uh, taught every book of the Bible, and I would introduce it in January, and I'd say, this is our theme this year, and I'm going to teach this book or that book. And uh, even at Church of the Open Door, in uh, this grace climate, and after I'd been there for years, I think I taught the book of Galatians maybe the 15th year I was there. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, I, I said this year, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to study the book of Hebrews and people would come up to me afterwards. Oh, good book. I hope you're not going to back off any, you know, and all that. Um, and then the year that I said this year, we're going to study the book of Galatians. I had people lining up saying, Hey, you better be careful with that. Better be oh, careful. Really? With that. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Better be careful of that. that. That could lead to license. Um, and, uh, and it just shows you that, uh, uh, the, the church has been taught to mistrust grace. It's very unfortunate. Very yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Grace is risky because you can walk away. I mean, you of can diso- you can disobey. Yeah. Uh, we, we're free to follow our flesh, but we're also yeah. free to follow the spirit. Uh, so some people say that that's what grace preaching leads to and a grace gospel leads to is it gives people a license to sin. Uh, I'm sure you've probably run into that. I know I have quite a bit. Yeah. How, I, how would you uh, respond to that also? Oh, well, I would, uh, I would respond to that by um, going to Galatians 5. Um, you know, we've been set free to live for Christ. Um, and, uh, then I would also go to all the passages that tell us that, uh, we're basically set free, uh, to, to love. And, uh, and you know, the, what I always say is that, um, uh, all the, we are, uh, we are given the love of Christ so that we can give it to others and love doesn't sin. Um, it, it just doesn't sin. And there are a couple of passages um, in our prep. You mentioned Galatians 5.13. And I always uh, like to also go to Romans 13, 8 through 10. Hmm. Um, uh, It says uh, in 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, The one who loves, it says in 13.8, has fulfilled the law. Um, and, uh, you know, it's in the perfect tense means, uh, perfectly fulfills the law. So, uh, the, uh, the illustration I use is that, um, I've been married to Judy for 51 years and I've been pure and I've been loyal to her. Uh, um, I, uh, I, I keep my, my mind pure. I stay away from porn. Uh, uh, I've never had, uh, any uh, even, uh, uh, any, even emotional attachment to another woman. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because God says not to though. I mean, that would be reason enough, but it's because I love her. Yeah. I love her and I, I don't want to hurt her. And, uh, when we, uh, love just doesn't sin, uh, love doesn't lie. You take all 10 commandments, all 647 commandments in the, in the old Testament and love would prevent all of those. Plus love fulfills the, um, fulfills the righteousness, uh, lives out the righteousness of Christ, not in the 15 ways that legalism, you you know, legalism is built around areas of strength. Okay. Yeah. You know, whatever culture you go to, their legalism is built around what they wouldn't do anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, so uh, there's, you know, there's 10 rules, there's 11 rules or six things. They, uh, churches have people sign covenants that they won't do this and won't do that. Well, love, ful- ful- love fulfills the righteous, love lives righteously in a billion ways. Mm. In a billion ways, mm-hmm. it always makes the right choice. Amen. And uh, only uh, and 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 that's by grace. That's Love by always grace. makes the right choice. That's good. Was it Martin Luther who said, 
love God with all your heart and do whatever you want. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah. that I've always attributed that to him, but that, that it causes people to stop and think. That's a scary of thought. Course. Do whatever you want. Oh, yeah. oh, no, love God and do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, if you love God and, and it, you know, uh, our desires, the Bible says very clearly that we've been changed in such a way that even our desires are different. Yeah. I, I can remember, uh, you know, I was a Jesus movement guy and I was a 60, you know, 68, 69. I trusted Christ in 70. Um, but I was a partier and all those things. And I can still remember, um, I trusted Christ, but I was still hanging with the same guys. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I was still, I mean, for months, I was still doing the same stuff, yeah. but I can remember how uncomfortable I felt. Yeah. This and, is different. It, it, it was totally different. I didn't enjoy the things that I used to enjoy. And I didn't know what was going on because I didn't know any theology. I, I knew nothing of the Bible, uh, but I realized later that what was happening was what happened was I had been changed. Yeah. I'd been changed on the inside yeah. and uh, I, my desires were totally different. I could, and then, you know, I couldn't get enough of the Bible before that. I never opened the Bible. Amen. Somebody asked me one time, what's the difference between a carnal Christian and a, a, an unsaved person? When when they sin, I said the unsafe person has more fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. That is perfect. You know, uh, one of the challenges that I that we always get is on assurance of salvation. They think that uh, a, a lot of times people think that those of us, those those of us who teach the grace gospel, um, um, uh, would give assurance to anybody, no matter you know if, if they right. raised their hand in a meeting. Or if they prayed a magic prayer, we would say, oh, no, you're saved. You're saved. Yeah. I always take I always take guys to Galatians 5 and where it says that the flesh is in conflict with the spirit. And I'll be talking to a man that I'm discipling and he's got a sinful lifestyle. And I and I say to him, I say, you're telling me that that you don't feel you're not conflicted over this. Mm -hmm. he goes, no, I'm OK. And mm -hmm. I, I always say the same thing. I said, I just say, dude, I hope you're telling me the truth. And I hope that you really did trust in Christ because I believe in eternal security, mm -hmm. but I, I just can't give you assurance of salvation. And uh, if you're, if you're living this way and you're saying I'm absolutely okay, you know, Something you're either a carnal Christian or um, you uh, most of the time, guess what? Uh, as I probe, they originally believed a false gospel. That's that. Yeah. If you dig a little deeper, there's something wrong yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yeah they, they originally believed a change your life gospel, um, you know, measure up gospel. And I have to reintroduce them to the grace of God mm -hmm. before they can live for him. Yeah. I, that, that's so true. We should never assume people are saved. You know, people always ask him, what about so-and-so? He doesn't act like a Christian. I mean, he was baptized. He was a preacher. Even I said, I'd have to talk to him. To, before I could exactly. even make that decision, because there's so many people who are not trusting in Christ alone for salvation. I, hey, you I, know, uh, uh, great story. Uh, well, you remember we both had Dan Wallace uh, for Greek, and I've become really good friends with, with Dan over the years because he, he 
he's a Southern California dude and he was a surfer and he's uh, spoken, he, he spoke at church to open door two or three times. Uh, but I can still remember uh, in our Ephesians class uh, at Dallas seminary, we came to Ephesians two, eight, and nine. And Dan said, okay, I want everybody to hear this. And, and he, he presented the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I, we, I went up to him afterwards and I said, Dan, were you, were you preaching the gospel at Dallas seminary? And he looked at me and he said, Ed, I've led two men to Christ mm-hmm. over the years. I, I was having a conversation with a pastor just the other day. His brother went through Dallas seminary and wasn't until his third, about his, the end of his third year that he got assurance of salvation. Yeah. 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 It happens. Hey, let's, let's uh, put a, a definition to the term that you've been mentioning a little bit uh this called legalism because that's clashes with the freedom that we have in Christ. So what do we mean when we say legalism? Yeah, I would say legalism is, um, I, I would say, well, one thing it it's, uh, outside in, um, it's an outside in attempt to control the flesh. It's an outside in attempt to control the flesh. Um, it is uh, trying to put guardrails on on a life uh, to prevent sin, uh, rather than um, the inside out uh, uh, righteousness that uh, we could demonstrate. So, I think it's it's a culture that uh, that would define uh, walking with Christ by not doing certain things. And doing certain things, right? And, so and the it's, and it's is on externals. It's all external, and 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 well, you know, you've been around the world the same as I have been, and it's absolutely different everywhere you go. Yeah, absolutely yeah. different. I'll never forget. Um, uh, I was in Germany. Judy and I were in Germany, and I was uh, stationed in Ansbach, and we had friends. Um, who uh, Jesus movement friends who were missionaries in um, uh, down in the black forest. And uh, they came to visit us in Nonsbach. And they had, I won't say where they went to Bible school, but it was a really, really legalistic Bible school. I mean, extremely, it was, it, it, it would be legalism on steroids, okay. this Bible school. They, they believed in justification grace, but there was no sanctification grace at this place. Okay. So anyway, uh, so they were, uh, they were, of course, teetotalers mm-hmm. um, because that's what Christians didn't do. Uh, they didn't use alcohol. So uh, I will never forget, they came to our house and, they, and the guy was kind of sheepish. And he said, hey, could you help me out a little bit? And I said, what? He said, we're realizing that in the German culture, it's offensive mm-hmm. to somebody to dinner and not offer them alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, it certainly is. And so to his credit, to his credit, um, you know, I said, well, look, at, I'm not an expert in this. But uh, let me, I have, I had a couple of NCOs who were married to German ladies, uh, non-commissioned officers who were married to German ladies. And I investigated it and they said uh, this and this and this, you know, this is what uh, a typical German household would have. 
and would offer. And uh, I just thought, God bless them. I mean, they got it that the gospel and people coming to Christ was way more important than their rules. And I read uh, Billy Graham's uh, uh, biography. I think it was biography or autobiography. And uh, when he went to Germany to do a crusade, there was a big discussion about whether they should sell beer at the crusade or not. (laughs) And they finally ended up selling beer at the crusade. Well, good for them. You know, and it is trippy. You go to the, I remember going to the McDonald's in Nuremberg. Um, and this, I was in the army 76 to 80. I remember going to the McDonald's in Nuremberg and, uh, and they, and, and they were serving beer. Yeah. <laughs> now, Ed and I are not advocating you go out and buy, oh, buy no, beer. Not at all. And, not at and, all. We're against drunkenness, but we, but we recognize that cultures treat things differently. When I was in Romania and sat down to lunch with a pastor, he didn't even ask me. He just puts his homemade wine in front of me, uh, already yeah. poured. I mean, didn't yeah. even ask me. Tasted terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the homemade yeah. stuff. You know? Yeah, and I can, uh, and I still remember. Um, well, you remember we went to Dallas Seminary when we had to sign a covenant. Yeah, that um, that we wouldn't use alcohol, and uh, I regret to this day. I had a, a wonderful platoon sergeant when when I was a a, a brand new lieutenant. Uh, he was just, he was a wonderful platoon sergeant. The man taught me more about leadership than probably anybody else I've ever worked with. And, uh, and since I was going to Dallas seminary, I put in my application and I had signed the covenant mm-hmm. and, um, we had my going away party. And I still remember my, uh, this sergeant that I just loved said, um, I'm going to buy my lieutenant a beer. And, you know, up to then, it had never been a problem. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't imbibe. And I still remember the awkwardness of trying to explain legalism to a non-Christian. Yeah, that would be awkward. That would be difficult. It, it was, I mean, I didn't because I thought, well, this, these must be the rules, so I won't do this. But yeah. uh, I regret it to this day. I mean, it was a barrier. It was a barrier. Yeah. yeah. But- uh, we've used alcohol as one example of legalism, and we've been talking about Europe. But what about you've been a pastor in a church? What, how else have you seen legalism work itself out in a church and Christians' lives? Or what are things that we should be looking for or aware of uh, or yeah. be aware of? Well, I, I think we should be aware of uh, a righteousness that is uh, culturally, um, culturally limited and defined. So, uh, the real legalistic church that I was in, um, my very first church, and I knew nothing about church. You know, I was a Jesus movement guy, small groups, campus crusade, uh, or crew now, young life. Uh, and I had a, uh, a Dallas man, uh, man as a pastor. And then suddenly I'm, I'm pastoring this denominational church in the, in the Midwest. And um, some of the things were, uh, I mean, music was seen as either righteous or unrighteous and um and uh hymns were righteous and of course i'm a jesus movement rocker so uh the music i liked i was shamed over i can i can still remember that uh there were rules like um uh you uh you couldn't uh, sing with a microphone Mm, my goodness yeah my goodness yeah and um and then uh, in there are just culturally defined things, uh, you know, women 
are, uh, should wear dresses to church, um, just all sorts of things. And, and what happens is that the danger of that is when you have these 12 rules that people can measure up to on the outside, mm-hmm. it just leads to hiddenness. Mm-hmm. And, and the sins that really count, the relational sins, mm-hmm. uh, the secrets and all of that uh, are all ignored if uh, everybody's dressed up for Jesus and doing the right things on Sunday morning. That's, that's Phariseeism. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so rules-based Christianity. Uh, yes. It can't help us mature in Christ anyway, because the Bible, the New Testament does have many we call them rules or commandments or things yeah. that we should do. So how, how do we resolve that tension there about doing what God wants us to do and yet not becoming legalistic about it? Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would say that uh, the first uh, part of that is we need to trust what the word of God says about us. Uh, we need to trust that the word of God says that we are changed. And, uh, and then we also need to view the teaching of the New Testament as guiding that change, meaning that as we grow in Christ, our lives are going to look different. And, um, and then third, uh, uh, I mean, secondly, we need to think of uh, this, the Spirit is convicting us, and we need to trust the Spirit to convict us. And then the third is we, need, we, we really do need community. Um, we need, we don't need a shaming community. We need a, an encouraging community, meaning that I'm encouraging you to live for Christ. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, one, one of the um, sentences that I would often use uh, that guys who, that I was discipling who came out of a legalistic culture had never heard before was um, Jesus, God isn't saying these things to you in the New Testament. Because he doesn't want you to have any fun. He's saying these things so that you can live the best life possible. You can have the the best experience of eternal life possible. And um, you need to trust. uh, To me, obedience comes through trust. And you need to trust that God is uh, is a truth teller, is a truth teller. Um, I remember. I remember uh, a, a man we both knew uh, real well was an elder that I had in uh, in the church in Oregon, a wonderful, wonderful man. And I can remember that uh, some of our men uh, went to a promise keepers. And I, I mean, I never went to promise keepers. I, I was supportive of it. But some of our men had gone to uh, promise keepers mm-hmm. meeting in, in Oregon and they came back and and he was asking the question. He said, well, what uh, what? well, what's the name of that group? And I said, promise keepers. And he went, Ooh, they stole God's name. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a good one. That's a good one. They stole God's name. <laughs> but, but he's a promise keeper. Uh, he, you can depend upon him. So if he's, um, if, if there's a command in the new Testament, our obedience to that command is leading to the best life possible here on earth. Yeah, that that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it, you you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. And of course, that truth yeah. comes through the and gospel then, of grace. And then also, you know, we have to we have to teach that the warnings 
like he, uh, Hebrews 12. And um, there are warnings that God loves us so much that he doesn't put up with a lot of sin. Yeah. And he disciplines his children. It's a sure sign of his love. Yeah. So um, God's love sets us free to live for Christ. And God's love also disciplines us when we're heading in a direction that would be hurtful to either our lives or to the cause of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you, we mentioned, for example, the issue of alcohol. We mentioned the different styles of music. Uh, we could add into there the celebration of Christmas, how you celebrate Easter. Oh, sure. Christians have different opinions. So how are we to treat others who have a different opinion than us? Uh, are, are, are we, do we have an air of superiority that we know we're right? We've studied the Bible longer than them. Um, <laughs> or are they being more spiritual because they don't do something? Uh, how are we to engage people about these questionable ish- issues or gray areas are sometimes called? Well, I, I think, as you know, that's, a, that's walking a tightrope. And I, I think the only way we can stay balanced, I always have my, a picture in my head of the, I, that family that, you know, that, that walked tight, tight ropes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, every once in a while, they'd fall into them and get killed. Uh, on issues like this, I think that we're walking a tightrope and we better be depending on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Or we're going to fall off one way or the other. We're either going to be, we're either going to uh, cause somebody to stumble, or we're going to uh, allow someone to uh, inhibit uh, the gospel because we're living in uh, a hypocritical life. But um, I uh, loved uh, the teaching. There, there was a book published by Multnomah uh, by Joe Aldrich uh, way back when we were in seminary and. Uh, it was called Lifestyle Evangelism. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, and, and I love it. The, uh, he said uh, uh, the weaker um, brother is the one who is truly susceptible to that sin. He's the one the that's one. abstaining from everything, too, the weaker brother. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and he said uh, it isn't the one who judges us. It's the one who's truly weak. And I'll just give you an example. You remember our buddy, Gary, who we worked at, he's the one who taught you to do, to do the exercise that ruined your back. Anyway, I can remember one time, uh, two different, two different occasions. And this, uh, illustration really helps me to, um, I think this, uh, these stories will help people to understand. Um, we were, uh, working out and of course we were listening to rock music while we worked out down there. Uh, under Lincoln Hall. And, um, and this guy uh, came in there and he says, he said, uh, could, uh, could you turn it to another station? That music offends me. And Gary says, what do you mean it offends you? He said, I don't think Christians sh- should live to that, uh, should listen to that stuff. And Gary said, well, then come back later when we're gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at another time, we were listening to rock music and a guy said, uh, Hey, could you turn that to another station? And Gary asked why? And the guy said, well, I came, I came out of the drug culture and uh, it just brings back a lot of memories that I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to rehearse or something like that. Yeah. And Gary said, you got it, brother. And he yeah. turned it off. Yeah. 
And I think that's a perfect illustration of uh, a truly weaker brother is somebody who, like, if I'm um, if uh, if I'm going to lunch with an alcoholic, <laughs> there 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 will be no alcohol involved. Right. If I'm um, if I'm uh, if I'm going to lunch with someone who uh, uh, has uh, an eating disorder, I'm going to be very careful of what I order. You're not I'm going not gonna, to a Golden Corral. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking to Golden Corral and I'm not going to order cheesecake afterward. You know, um, if I'm um, if I'm uh, working with a man who is uh, who's uh, who has addiction problems to porn. I'm going to be very careful of uh, what I say around him because he's a truly weaker brother. Um, And uh, the stronger brother has to take responsibility for the weaker brother, but that's not the person who's offended uh, because then Christianity, uh, um, it it minimizes Christianity to the lowest common denominator because no matter what we do, somebody's offended. Right. So there has to be there has to be some learning curve there for yeah. the weaker brother in which he learns to tolerate others and maybe yes. learns some of the things he thought were wrong are not wrong. And yeah, um, I've had to. Yeah, you, I'm sure you've done the same thing. I've had to bring guys um, bring guys along in grace as I disciple them. And um, for instance, I can remember uh, when I first came to Church of the Open Door, um, the the tradition that church of the open door had been for, so I came in 96. So to, since 1915, the tradition at church, of the open door was that the pastor always wore a coat and tie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, then when I got this leukemia, you know, it affected my skin mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't wear a tie, which I was very thankful for, by the way. But um, anyway, um, when when my uh, skin cleared up and uh, and I was uh, looking normal again, um, a guy asked me, uh, um, you know, when, when are you going to wear a coat and tie again? I said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And um, and and he was offended by that. And I and I tried to explain to him, I said, look, um, we want we're trying to have an inviting. Uh, an inviting um, atmosphere here. We live in Southern California. Yeah. Nobody wears a coat and tie. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was the kind of, those are the kind of barriers I think that we, that legalism. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> I'm so eager to get rid of the coat and tie. Uh, <laughs> I started preaching in, in the church. I started with the three piece suit and a tie. Yeah. And, uh, and now I won't preach in anything but blue jeans where <laughs> where I'm yeah, at. Yeah. <laughs> it's so comfortable. But here's a story that you won't remember. I did do a leadership retreat for you, but you also asked me to speak at your church on one Sunday. And you said, now for the ser- first service, can you wear a, a, suit, a jacket and tie? Because that was yeah. your traditional service. And then you said, now, and then between services, go back to your room and change it to a casual shirt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Charlie, I, I did that. For, I did that for four years before I, uh, before I finally just said, Hey, look, guys, I'm not wearing a tie anymore. And, and, and the fact that I have this disease, that, that, that was one of the benefits. Oh yeah. I did that. I was trying not to be offensive. Yeah. And then finally it just got to the point where I thought, you know, let's just all grow up 
and uh, say that, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to imagine Jesus in a coat and tie um, or <laughs> Paul. So I've always, I've always joked that I'm going to, when I get to heaven, I'm going to take a tie and strangle the person that invented it if he's there. <laughs> I don't well, you, understand. I don't understand where ties came from. I, just I, I don't either, man. I, uh, Kevin Butcher and I had a, had, we're having a conversation once and, um, and we, we were saying the same thing, like who thought of ties? I mean, who, <laughs> I, Hey, I got an idea. Let's put this thing around our throat. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and then if you live in a southern or hot climate like we do, it's just oh yeah, uh, you guys, it's man, miserable. It's, oh, it's miserable. miserable. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's been a great chat with you. I just want to read Galatians five thirteen because what we're talking about when we talk about grace and how to uh, uh, how it should change our lives from the inside out, it's all because of love, and that's what Galatians five thirteen reminds us. For you, brethren have been called to liberty only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another and your passage from uh romans 13 really kind of expands that thought even yeah. more uh in a great way so it's it's really a life of loving people and when we love people we'll do the right thing for god we'll do the right thing for ourselves we'll do the right thing for other people yep and, yeah uh, yeah, I would say we're uh, uh, the gospel sets us free to love and to live for Christ and demonstrate His right, be His image bearer. Yeah, I can't. Set us free to live for Christ. I'm not going to try to top that as a summary statement. Ed, <laughs> I appreciate that's very good. Well put. Uh, I w I would like to let people know that you have some resources available, and uh, because I, I've used your website and you have some great Bible study tools there. And uh, and then I'm going to ask you uh, about your books. But why don't you first tell people where they can get a hold of some of your resources? Well, you can go to recenteredgroup.com. Uh, that's uh, that's where they can read the blogs and all the things that I uh, all the resources we have available for churches, uh, for discipling and mentoring pastors, for helping leadership teams. Um, and then uh, there's uh, another uh, uh, sermons by Ed. Sermons by Ed has uh, uh, right now uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, my it's just my sermons from Church of the Open Door. Is that a separate website? It's a separate website. Yeah, sermonsbyed.org or dot. Uh, I think it's dot com. I they can just look up sermons by Ed. Yeah. You might get the wrong Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might get the wrong Ed. Let me check this out here. Okay, so uh, recenteredgroup.com. Recentergroup.com. Sermon yeah. by Ed. Yeah. Um, and uh, so let me see here. And Ed's a great preacher. So you, uh, if yeah, you're not, you not you getting great preaching, preaching up, up the wrong Ed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's com. Yeah. Sermonbyeds.com. Okay. Yeah. And all it is is uh, so we just finished uh, a two year uh series i did a two-year series at church of the open door where i taught every book of the bible and so there was there's a book a week and all the notes are there for them to use um an outline my outline of every book of the bible and this year we're going through the book of hebrews yeah and um and uh and showing people how he hebrews 
really is a book all about the grace of God. It's yes, all it about the grace of God. And um, so that, yeah, sermons by Ed or recentergroup.com. That sounds like really rich resources there. And then, you know, I've read your your book, which is kind of autobiographical. Uh, I don't know if you call it autobiograph- autobiography. Oh, yeah. but it was when God Breaks Your Heart. Yeah. Yeah. When God Breaks Your Heart. It's fascinating yeah. to read and, and just to, to imagine that you went through all that and you, you've come. Yeah, it was through. about my it was about my year of uh, when when the leukemia almost killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no spoiler here, but uh, it's still with us. <laughs> it's doing a lot yeah. better than 21 years later. Book. <laughs> 21 years later, I'm still here. They can get the book on resendergroup.com. I'd rather they not get it on Amazon uh, uh, because, uh, I, you know, publishing, you you know, publishing, it's weird. But somebody bought all of the uh, uh, extra copies of uh, When God Breaks Your Heart, and they're selling them for like $50 a book on Amazon. Oh, so uh, um, David C. Cook. Gave, gave me permission to republish it. So you can get it on uh, recentergroup.com. That's yeah. a good suggestion then. Don't you have yeah. another book out too? Yeah, yeah. And Reborn to be Wild was uh, the, <laughs> an, insider's, an insider's view of the Jesus movement that I wrote. We'll play uh, on one of our favorite songs back then, Born to be Wild. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, the Jesus movement, most people think it was all about rock, uh, you know, the rock music and all that. It wasn't at all. We were... We were discipled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was small groups. It was we were discipled, and um, so I, I I wrote about that. Wrote about my Jesus movement experience, and then I wrote a book uh, called The Trail, and it's out of print. And I don't even have any more copies of that one. So, uh, but uh, but when God breaks your heart is uh, yeah probably I would the key. everybody read that. that yeah, is, yeah. especially good. people if you're suffering if you know someone who's suffering. Uh, it's written for sufferers. Yeah, and but just to read it and stand back and say, uh, see how God worked in your life and your church. Oh, yeah. That time. Uh, just the yeah. main story. So, yeah. well, Ed, thanks very much for your time. Uh, you bet, Charlie. I love you, brother. Long, love uh, you. It's been a good, long friendship. It's been <laughs> a good, long friendship and uh, decades, and we're, we're still standing for grace. <laughs> You're a real trophy of grace. So, uh, yeah, well, so are you, buddy. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Okay. Well, thanks. I just want to thank you and thank everybody for tuning in today. And if you like the podcast, like it or uh, sub- please subscribe to it so uh, we can get that word of grace out there and see more people freed by his grace. Until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace.org at gracelife.org. See you next time.